Hello, I'm Dr. Fergal Armstrong and welcome again to Lifestyle Matters. And uh, we have with us Dr. Savina. Hello, Savina. How are you? Good. Thank you, Fergal. And yourself? I'm great. So we're continuing our discussion on sleep and I thought we'd talk about phase. Can you tell us what you understand when we mean when we talk about phase? Yeah, so basically sleep phase is basically a, a disorder that can happen naturally to people, um, usually in the extremes of age, whether you may be really young or really old. There are two types of phase disorders that happen. Um, one's a delayed sleep phase disorder, um, where our body clock really starts going a little bit longer than 24 hours, quite common in teenagers um, you know, who tend to go to bed later and wake up later than they should. An advanced sleep phase disorder, which tends to happen in the elderly, um, where that circadian clock sort of shifts a bit shorter and it tends to happen to the older people where they go to bed earlier and wake up earlier. So would you like to tell us a little bit more about um, sleep phase disorder, delayed sleep phase disorder, Virgil? Yeah. So I think it's important to understand that whilst the day-night cycle may be 24 hours, our sleep-wake cycle is not necessarily 24 hours naturally. So if we were to kind of be put into a cave, our sleep, to, our sleep phase would, it would be different from 24 hours if we don't have the regular input of the sun and the night. So as you say, people with delayed sleep phase have a, sleep, have a natural cycle of a day being longer than 24 hours, and those with advanced sleep phase have a, have a day-night cycle shorter than 24 hours. Now, you've alluded to the fact that um, extremes of age are characterized by these disorders. So teenagers find it very difficult to go to bed early and fall asleep early, and they also find it very difficult to wake up early. And I know my father was not very sympathetic to me in my statement that I was too tired to get up in the morning and I couldn't, I was too awake to fall asleep. But that's actually true. Teenagers really do struggle for this. And this is a, it is not only a well-recognized phenomenon, but you can almost think of it as a quasi-medical condition. And, you know, one of the hormones that we've already talked about, melatonin, can be used to actually help people with sleep phase regulate their sleep phase. So especially teenagers with um, delayed sleep phase, so they find it difficult to fall asleep on time and melatonin can be used to help with that sleep phase. Have you had experience of using melatonin? Well, I have and I'll just before that, I'll vouch for that too. I remember, gosh, struggling to wake up as a teen and you know wanting to stay up and I could sleep to stay up till two or three in the morning and you know sleep till 11 or 12 and then somewhere in my 20s mid-20s I think I started losing that ability and now it's just even worse and I'm only in my late 30s so I do not want to know what's going to happen later on but um, essentially melatonin um, yeah so we, we can use it to help um, teen, you know people try to get to sleep right on time um, you take it usually an hour or two before trying to get your ideal sleep time um, but of course, you want to do all this before you want to before you after excluding underlying medical problems like you know anxiety or depression. You don't want to just you know give everyone melatonin um, if there is an underlying issue. You rather treat that first. But um, apart from melatonin, the other thing is also um, what we talked about last episode: your um, L 
C-O-L-T-E, L for light, light therapy. So getting, you know, early morning sunlight, um, you know, as hard as it is, is also important to help get that sleep um, back into yeah, that, that, that's a really important uh, point to get across. You cannot treat sleep phase disorder by paying attention to one half of that rhythm. You have to treat both halves of the rhythm. So if you're using melatonin at night, you also need to use early morning light. And the reverse is true for, um, for, for people with uh, advanced sleep phase, the elderly. They need to be given melatonin at the right time and they need to be exposed to light at the right time. So if we're talking about light, teenagers need early morning light and people who are elderly who have advanced sleep phase, they actually need exposure to bright light later on in the morning. So they need to stay, well, even though they're awake, they need to stay in a darkened room or in relative darkness before they get the big bright light of the morning. So you have to use melatonin and light in conjunction with one another. It's not enough just to use one. And, you know, there, it, it also goes back to the idea of understanding what are the, the entrainers of the sleep rhythm, which we've talked about in the, in the previous shows when we discussed cult. Anything that we can do to help entrain our rhythm to the desired sleep phase will help us deal with sleep phase disorder. But, but as you say, we also need to be aware that there are medical issues that, that can impact upon this. Yeah, and the other thing is also, um, there is another way of doing this, which I suppose this is when you'd want to get a sleep um, physician involved, is chronotherapy. So that's basically, you know, sort of slowly delaying that time of sleep. So for example, if you usually go to bed at, you know, as a teen, you usually get go to bed at, three in the morning and you wake up at 1 p.m. in the afternoon, you slowly try to reset these times while using melatonin. Um, so basically working in the in the lots of three hours. So you try to sort of um, go to bed basically at about six in the morning, wake up at four, and then the next day you try to, you know, delay those morning hours and delay the late hours so that you uh, get back to your ideal bedtime. Yeah. And it can be quite complicated. So I think that needs to be done with the help of a sleep physician or a, a sleep psychologist, someone who can who knows how to do it well. Mm. And that's, that's a very useful uh, point to understand is it's easier to delay the onset of sleep than it is to actually encourage the earlier onset of sleep, which is why this chronotherapy is predicated on delaying sleep. You know, we find it easier to stay awake longer and then therefore sleep in later than we do to go to bed earlier. And, you know, because, you know, I'm sure you've had the experience of going to bed early and not being able to fall asleep. So it's more difficult to control falling asleep earlier than it is later. And that is exactly why it's hard to also adjust when you're going eastward travel. Yes. Yes, that's a useful segue into jet lag, isn't it? Pretty much. Did you... What is jet lag? <laughs> jet lag, you know, it sounds really trivial, but it can actually be quite a, you know, an important, serious problem because, you know, it just doesn't make you feel, I'm sure everyone knows what jet lag is, you know, where you feel really tired, you can't stay awake, but it's actually, it has functional problems too. Some people actually get IBS symptoms um, or nausea, like um, from having jet lag and have trouble focusing and concentrating uh, if they, they're at work, if they've traveled for work, for example. Um, and it tends to happen more with eastward travel, just because for the reason you said just now, Fergal, that it's harder to reset your clock earlier, uh, to bring it forward earlier. Did you want to go through that a bit more. 
Yeah, so we know that jet lag occurs when we travel across time zones. And it really becomes a problem when we're traveling across five or more time zones. And I suppose the, the distinction has to be made between jet lag and travel fatigue. So if you can imagine traveling north to south within the same time zone, you're not experiencing jet lag, but you're experiencing the fatigue of sitting in a cramped airplane and experiencing the, all of that discomfort. Whereas with jet lag, you're crossing multiple time zones. So Savina, does it matter which direction you're traveling? Yes, it does, Virgo. There is a difference yeah. between east and west. Would you like to take us through that? Okay, so when we travel eastward, we are chasing the sunrise. And at our destination, the sun has already risen and the day is already shorter. So therefore, when we arrive at our destination eastwards, everybody else wants to go to bed, but we're still wide awake. So that's an example of advanced uh, sleep phase disorder. When we travel westwards, we are chasing the sunset. So our day is relatively longer because at our destination, the sun is yet to set. So therefore, it's easier for us to cope with westward travel because, as, as, of, as we've already said, it's easier to stay awake later. So that also then uh, allows us to conceptualize the management of jet lag. So when we're chasing the sunrise, when we're traveling eastwards, we've got advanced delay. So therefore, we need to time our exposure to light earlier in the day, and we might benefit from melatonin at night. Whereas when we're traveling westwards and we're chasing the sunset, we need to stay awake for longer. Therefore, we need light exposure later on in the day to try and keep ourselves awake longer. And we don't necessarily need the melatonin because once you've, had, once you've stayed awake for a long time, you have this natural urge to go to sleep. And of course, we can also use all of the other cult factors to entrain our bodies to the new destination sleep phase. Yeah, I hope that so that's why clear. we also talk about, you know, making sure you're well hydrated, eating properly, you know, not a heavy salty diet while you're on the plane, you're traveling. Um, and then when you get there, also exercise appropriately, aim your exercise timing so that you can use this COLTE to try to entrain sleep better. So it's important to understand the effect of light. So, you know, I always go back to light because I think that's the biggest uh, zeitgeber or the environment, the biggest environmental time cue. So you've got to have daylight in the morning and darkness in the evening. And if you don't have morning daylight, that affects your sleep cycle. And if you've got exposure to evening light, inappropriate evening light, that will keep you awake for longer. And even a hundred lux, a hundred lux of light is a very dimly lit room. Even a hundred lux of light can suppress melatonin secretion. And that suppression of melatonin is worse if you've not enjoyed the benefits of morning sunlight. So if you wake up to dim sunlight, you then become more sensitive to dim light in the evening. And so you're completely affected. And it goes back to understanding that management of sleep-wake uh, sleep cycles requires attention to both ends. It requires attention to the environmental cues in the morning and in the evening. And that is also another reason why shift workers struggle too. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, 
shift workers also use medications to help them get through yes, the shift, they do. don't they? Ideally, melatonin yes. to help. Yes, but they also use a lot of caffeine. Can you tell us what All caffeine right. is well, and how it works? Thing. So, um, <laughs> well, I love coffee. Now, um, so in our body, there is a, just taking back to basics, in our body, there's a hormone called adenosine. Now, adenosine, you think of it as a depressant. It's a inhibitory neurotransmitter, an inhibitory chemical in our brain. Now, when we wake up in the morning, these adenosine levels slowly rise in this part of our brain, in our brainstem called the reticular activating system call it the RAS. Uh, now, this RAS usually is um, part of your brain that controls arousal, keep, keeps you alert, awake. Now, in the morning, the adenosine starts rising up slowly. Remember, adenosine is the inhibitory uh, transmitter, neurotransmitter. It starts rising slowly over time, and then it increases. And by the time evening comes, it's time to go to bed. This inhibition is at its, at its maximum, and you start feeling sleepy. Yeah. Okay? At Caffeine, when we drink coffee, that's basically the, it binds to the receptor of the adenosine and prevents the adenosine from getting, doing what it has to do. Hence, it keeps you awake. Right. But. So effectively, what you're saying is that caffeine is an adenosine receptor antagonist yeah. and blocks the natural sleep effect of gradually rising adenosine throughout the day. Yes, but not everyone has that effect. I am one of them. <laughs> so there's only a very small there's a very very small percentage of people that they have a genetic variation and the adenosine receptors don't work the way they're meant to and caffeine goes and binds to it so they don't feel sleepy. So they don't they don't they don't feel the effects um, of caffeine as much. The effects yes. of caffeine yep. either do they? Yeah. But let's not oh. all go and drink coffee now before we go to bed. But the other people who actually struggle with it <laughs> is uh, with caffeine is also smokers. Yeah, so smokers also yes. churn through caffeine quite quickly. Um, and they they need, hence they drink more coffee. I don't know. I mean, you do a lot of addiction medicine, Fergal. Did you want to talk us through that? Smoking is full of uh, polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons. And that's a posh word for enzyme inducers in the liver. So smoking induces hepatic enzymes. Hepatic enzymes metabolize substances and they metabolize caffeine. So therefore, when your liver is activated by smoking, you chew through caffeine much more easily. So to get the same effect, you need to drink more coffee. And that's all well and good. But what happens when you go and see the doctor, when you see the lifestyle physician who says you've got to stop smoking? So you stop smoking. You don't chew through the same amount of caffeine that you would otherwise do. Therefore, you are exposed to even though you haven't increased your coffee intake, you are exposed to higher levels of caffeine, which then makes you feel irritable and agitated. So you think that quitting the smoking is making you feeling irritable and agitated, but it's actually higher levels of caffeine. So I always say to people, when you're quitting smoking, you need to reduce your caffeine intake by at least half. I'm going to take that advice onto my patients too, Fergal, because that's yeah. actually very interesting. You, Lots of people think they get quite agitated because they've given up smoking. But caffeine, yeah. let's not forget that. Let's not forget that. Yeah. And on that note, Savina, I think we've run out of time. So thank you very much. And we'll see you next time. Thank you, Fergal. My name's Dr. Fergal Armstrong. You've been watching Lifestyle Matters. We'll see you soon. Mm -hmm.